it's really, really powerful. I mean, the outdoors just breaks everything down and everyone down. So you're equal out there. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to A Congruent Life. And today is episode number 49. My name is Andy Gray, and thanks for joining us here today. I'm really honored to host these conversations and share some pretty amazing people with you. Today, that amazing person is Emily Cortez. Emily discovered the power of nature and of physical challenge in her own life, provided both a big boost in her own self-confidence and a balance to the stress of working in a high-powered career in the Bay Area. A physical injury gave Emily some space to reflect, and she ended up radically changing her career so that she could empower other women by leading them on adventure trips. Here's my conversation with Emily. I'm talking today to Emily Cortez, who runs an adventure travel business for women called Call of the Wild. Emily, welcome to A Congruent Life. Thank you. I'm really glad to have you on the show, and we need to thank A Congruent Life listener, Diane, for making the introduction. I'm really grateful to Diane that she made the connection between us. Yeah, me too. Diane's one of my favorite people in town. So let's just jump in and maybe uh, maybe start by introducing yourself to our audience. Sure. So as you mentioned, I run this women's travel organization. And it's basically, when you say a congruent life, this is now my real first attempt in my adult life, and I'm turning 40 this year, to actually try to live a congruent life by running this business. So for 20 years, I worked in finance and investments. I got an MBA in finance from Berkeley. I had a chartered financial analyst designation, a chartered alternative investment analyst designation, and a lot of experience in pretty high-pressure quantitative financial environments. And I was good at it. And then to some degree, I even thrived in it. And I sort of liked the fact that I was this small blonde woman who could enter a male-dominated environment, I saw it as a challenge, improve my credibility and build relationships. So I was very successful, but it just wasn't feeding my soul. And along the way, I started doing more and more things outdoors and in specific climbing. And as someone who's pretty small and had always really thought of herself as unathletic, It was quite a journey for me to discover the power that I had in my own body and then the way that it really transformed me as a person back at work and built my confidence and my leadership skills and the way that I looked at risk and fear and challenge. And that basically emboldened me to try to make my passion my vocation for the first time, which is something a lot of people say they find very courageous and very inspirational and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But for me, it was really like, I just felt like I had no other choice because I didn't want to live this life of just going through the motions day by day and kind of feeling unfulfilled and wondering what the meaning is of life and how do I really make impact and make this time 
on the earth meaningful. Mm. So that's my intro. <laughs> that's one heck of an intro. <laughs> and that blah, blah, blah stuff is, is exactly why we're talking. I think there's a whole lot of stuff in there. I know, I have to say, I always do that because I still think of myself as little old me and I'm not courageous. And I think that's part of the whole shtick is that if you really think of all these people doing what seems amazing, that they're so courageous and you look for the courage in yourself and you don't find it, then you go, oh, I can't do that. But I think everybody has a bit of that inside themselves. So there are all kinds of themes in your intro there that we could unpack, and I, hopefully we'll get to most of them as, as we chat. But let's maybe just start with some of your own personal journey earlier in your life. You know, how did you form a relationship with the outdoors? Basically, how did you, how did you find yourself at a personal level being intrigued and fed by spending time in nature? Yeah, it's kind of a funny story because when people hear some of the things I have done in the mountains, they assume I've been doing it my whole life. And that's really not the case. I I didn't find climbing until I was in my 30s. And I really started just dabbling with hiking in my 20s. So I grew up in South Texas, where the outdoors is like kind of a scary place, especially if you're arachnophobic, which I'm extremely arachnophobic. And I was bit by a brown recluse. And you know, I'd walk into spider webs and there'd be these like flying hairy spiders, like kind of going through the air and I'd scream and run back to my house. So, <laughs> so I was like not really into the outdoors. I did this one Girl Scout camp and I think I was really unhappy there and found a scorpion under a log. And and I just had never been very fit either. I tried track one year and I won the Spirit Award because I came in last on every single race that I ran. <laughs> So it was kind of like I was, I began to get into gym workouts when I was in my 20s in college and no one else I knew were, were doing gym workouts. Everybody had this like really high metabolism and just went dancing and, you know, ate pizza and never seemed to gain anything. And I, I always have a little, had a little trouble with my metabolism. So I got into the gym and I started working out. And I became a little bit of a gym rat, but not super hardcore and definitely didn't look like it. And one year, my sister, who was, you know, I'm like the capitalist in the family, and she's the radical one, gave me a membership to the Sierra Club for my birthday. And I went out on a hike with this woman who was, I thought at the time, because I was in my 20s, I thought she was 80. <laughs> and she proceeded to drop me like a box of rocks. And I simply could not keep up. And I was totally amazed by her stamina and my lack of fitness, even though I'd been working out pretty regularly in a gym. So I thought to myself, wow, there's got to be something to this hiking thing if this woman is this strong. And she doesn't look it. She just can get out there and put the miles under her belt. So I started hiking and I added that in and for a while enjoyed it. I don't say, I wouldn't say it was like calling to me or anything. And it wasn't until after business school that a girlfriend of mine said, hey, let's go do Half Dome. And Half Dome is this super classic California hike of this amazing iconic granite feature called Half Dome. It's about 17 miles round trip and nearly a mile of vertical gain. And the last bit it's all hiking, and it's quite steep, challenging hiking, but the last bit's this cable section where it's kind of smooth granite, and you're sort of hanging on and pulling yourself up by these cables. 
And we were sort of quintessential MBA types, did lots of research, wanted to find where everyone else had failed. There were all these blog posts about people running out of water and not bringing gloves for the cables. So we're like, we're going to get this thing right. We trained and everything. And when we got to the base of the cable, she pretty much looked, took one look at them and was like, no, no way in hell. This is really scary. But we've worked so hard. You can go for it. And I still remember to this day because I will now lead this trip for Call of the Wild. We do it as a backpacking trip. And all of the, the clients I have, they go, oh, you can't possibly understand my fear with all the stuff you've done. I was like, no, I've stood in this exact spot, looked at that, those cables, basically shitting myself. And saying, you know, I don't know if I can do this or not. I don't have anyone next to me coaching me saying, it's going to be fine. Here's how you do it. Breathe through it. Don't worry. Look at all the yahoos ahead of you that are doing it just fine. And I had to find that strength from within myself and say, I want it bad enough to give it a try. And I got on those cables and this guy in front of me started to like cry and push his way down. And I'm thinking, what am I doing but I saw these two girls coming down and I said, oh, I'll ask women. I'll believe their answer. And I asked them, does it take a lot of upper body strength to get up there? Because, And this is kind of the biggest fallacy even in rock climbing and with women that it takes all this upper body strength to do these activities. And it's just not true. So I chuckled that that was my first question out of my mouth. And they said, no, but just rest on these wooden planks in between the cables and it will keep your calves from stressing out. So that's all I did. I just focused on plank to plank, plank to plank until I got to the top. And when I got to the top, it was just this almost indescribable feeling of achievement and success and the culmination of all your efforts that result in these 360 degree unparalleled views. And that was the moment that I really knew, like, I was ruined for regular hiking and kind of regular pursuits, that I wanted that sense of achievement. And that was kind of the beginning of the end where I very slowly and deliberately started working on slightly harder mountains, getting, building some skills and going out and playing with them. I worked on snow camping, I worked on snow climbing, glacier climbing, technical rock and ice, and just kept going a little harder, a little harder. First we went guided, then I went with strong partners, then I started organizing my own, then I started doing some solo things. And that was kind of the progression of my relationship with the outdoors. But it became a bigger and bigger and bigger force and drive in my life over the last 10 years or so. It's really interesting to hear those kinds of stories and, and pushing yourself in that way because it contrasts so directly with the work that you did in the corporate world. You know, you had a, a pretty long corporate type career in quantitative finance, which is <laughs> extremely heady Cerebral. and brainy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that was part of why it was such an awakening for me because I had always known I could apply myself and get really good grades. And I was always the one that people wanted to be on their project because they knew we'd get an A, right? But I was really in my head and really had did not have a lot of relationship with my body or a lot of faith or appreciation for it, quite frankly. So that was such, a, I mean, transformation is the word. It was transformative for me to get into my physical power. And especially as a very small woman, to feel that sense of power and to be out in the mountains, sometimes with really large guys who have a much longer stride, a much higher pack carrying 
capacity, you know, longer ability to shovel large loads of snow, whatever the case may be, and be like, I'm out here with them. I mean, it's not a competition usually, but basically I'm competing on a physical level. So if I go back to this more cerebral environment and really civilization, which is extremely safe and cushy, as much as we feel stressed out and feel fear in our daily lives, it's very, very safe, and go, I have no right being intimidated by anyone else at work or any of these challenges because the repercussions are so low of taking risk here. And we're talking like risk of, I'm going to volunteer for this project, not risk like I'm going to make this trade and lose a client a few million. (laughs) It's more, more like the way that we hold ourselves back, just we're kind of blown apart for me by this new relationship with my physical being and the outdoors. Yeah, it's it's part of what ended up driving me to try to help do that for other women specifically. I felt like a lot of things I did with the co-ed groups, the guys were awesome. And in fact, I've really not had any run-ins with men when I was in a leadership position in the outdoors, interestingly, I have in the corporate world. But the guys would just kind of come in with a lot of confidence and they would learn the skills and be respectful and leave with a lot of confidence. And the women, you know, you have to make these generalizations sometimes. Not all women are like this, but for the most part would come in without the confidence and be worried if they were going to be the slow ones. Could they hack the cold? If they had to ask too many questions, they're like, oh, my God, I'm being needy. You're probably really annoyed with me. Like just there's this really a lot of baggage about gender in the outdoors or doing something physical because the assumption is that the you know females are the weaker sex so if you need help it's like it's because I'm a woman you know maybe I don't really belong here and when the women would complete whatever the objective was and of course they could do it I mean usually unless you've got like your, your knees blown out or something and you really can't hike downhill you know you can do this stuff it might be a matter of a little slower, a little lighter pack, changing itinerary, you know, usually that's not the case, but it can always be done. And the sense of how much change could occur in just a matter of days and how much confidence could be built. And I remember specifically this one woman that I did a one day zip lining hiking adventure with a, a woman that's a life coach. And it is interesting that all of the six women that signed up had self-selected with like an extreme fear of heights. <laughs> so they really wanted to go on like a guiding coached zip lining day. And one of the gals that was just like paralyzed, but she did it anyways, because they were all in the same boat and they felt that camaraderie around it. She said at the end, you know, nothing at the office is going to seem scary anymore after facing this fear. And that was one afternoon. So I just could see that the impact for me or my ability to impact others was was the greatest with women. And that's how I decided to focus on women specifically. I'm not a man hater, love men. But if I'm going to be on this planet and make impact, I know that I have the greatest impact working with women. That's such a great story. I love the sense of personal empowerment that came from you simply leaning into those fears and hiking up Half Dome and pushing yourself a little bit further. And the way that that impacted the rest of your life, including your successful career in giving you a a new kind of confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what I want to do for others. And for some, it's just a six mile hike, like they are scared to death of being part of a group. 
and what that dynamic is going to be. Are they strong enough? What if they get a blister? You know, just getting through that and going, oh, I, I really can do this. And the human mind is an amazing thing. And I don't plant this seed because it creates pressure. But once we do something, we almost always look for what's next, what's longer, what's harder, what's more remote. And so having a positive experience in those early stages is really critical for growth. So you've got your successful career plugging along in the Bay Area and doing your quantitative finance and and hiking (laughs) and having that be a a nice outlet for you. Uh, It seems like oftentimes some pivotal moment happens in our lives that causes us to step back and sort of reevaluate some sort of of nexus point. What was that for you? Mm, That's a good question because there was something. I mean, there is definitely a slow growing tension inside me, but there has to be, I think there has to be some kind of catalyst to cause you to take action. And in my case, it doesn't sound very dramatic, but I tore my ACL snowshoeing. My surgeon said out of all his thousands, he'd seen one other person tear their ACL snowshoeing. (laughs) So I managed to do that. And it threw me for a loop and I was really pissed off that I would be, you know, missed the season just for four to six months. And it ended up becoming this really epic recovery. And there are just some people that have trouble healing from trauma and healing from surgeries. And later I went on a journey to try to figure out why that might be for me. But in the middle of that, I was was really quite depressed because I didn't have the ability to get out and clear my mind in the outdoors. I literally for about almost a year, I really had trouble walking on flat ground. I had a weird gait and a lot of pain in my knee, so I couldn't even go for a stroll along the bay. And without that ability to decompress, I realized why I was so miserable was one, you know, facing a future without physical activity is is pretty daunting. But two, I no longer had the ability to decompress and re-energize for the very stressful work environment that I was in. And I just had to deal with that work environment without any outlet. And I started, it started really slowly to dawn on me. And then it finally hit me that it wasn't the problem that I couldn't decompress. Actually, it was the problem that I had a job that I needed to decompress from so badly And that was, I mean, it felt like it was killing me just to go into that cubicle and sit under those fluorescent lights and travel constantly and deal with all of these competing pressures and just go, this is it. This is my life. And this really kind of (laughs) sucks. And I started healing and slowly getting better. And in the second year, I was able to just fight off a little bit more, a little bit more. And even now, three years later, I've really just started climbing big mountains again. So it's been a long journey. But that realization that what needed to change was the work is what kind of hit me with a ton of bricks. And I actually really pride myself on being a very strong person who's been very self-directed and completely self-made, had no parental support, paid for college on my own, moved around the country, just had to figure things out on the fly. Kind of a stressful upbringing, but I think it created a lot of self-sufficiency and pretty strong character. So I have a lot of trouble asking for help. And in that moment, when I was kind of in the depths of the depression and just like stuck in this body that wouldn't do what I wanted it to do and 
sort of in a quicksand of like a negativity cycle that I couldn't break. I saw somebody posting on Facebook and I can't even remember how I got connected to him, but he was posting about search and rescue teams and the power of visualization so that they could perform better when that stressful environment hits them. And all of a sudden they're on and the adrenaline's going. And I was like, wow, you know, I really believe in the power of visualization. And right now I'm in too deep. I can't pull myself out to even do like positive thinking about my knee, let alone my whole situation. And he gets these sort of extreme environments like search and rescue. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should talk to him because, you know, sort of I have this thing about like new agey people, which I'm really kind of I lean towards that way. And I really believe in a lot of the. Uh, law of attraction and all of those kinds of things. But I feel like sometimes in those interactions, um, if I can generalize, those kinds of people don't understand my ambition and my drive and my desire to put myself in situations that other people say, like, wow, you're just putting yourself in this really dangerous situation, but it's fulfilling to me. But at the same time, I really thought, oh, I don't want a regular, typical corporate type coach or advisor who doesn't get the importance of these other things that are much more uh, deep and intrinsic. So I reached out to him and he's actually in Bend. It's Greg Swanson, who's the warrior mind coach. And I just love that. So I started working with him and it was quite a challenge to like reach out and say, I, I really need help. I need help to get out of this quicksand. And he ended up really being instrumental in helping me visualize the the world that I wanted to create and down to the last bit, which included, you know, moving, who would be um, my partner, what was my work environment like, what was the, the balance side. And for a year and a half, he was the person that I kept working with and sort of kept me accountable. And anytime I'd slide back and have a little bit of doubt and you know, worried the most about the financial side, it was good to have a kind of objective third party to check in with. And all of my other friends were like, oh, you can do it. You're the strongest person I know, blah, blah, blah. And that's where I go, the blah, 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 because it just doesn't mean as much if somebody says, oh, you're awesome, you can do it. And then I have to face the reality of actually doing it. So he was very much a, a partner in that with me. And could I have done it on my own? Yeah, probably, but it might have taken me another 10 years. <laughs> so I'm I'm grateful for that experience and having having somebody that I could really bounce ideas off of along the way. Absolutely. So many great lessons in that that little bit there. You know, first of all, that notion of I'm self-sufficient, I'm in control, I can do this, and then something happens to knock us off that. In this mm -hmm. case, you had this physical limitation, freak injury, nothing you could do about it. And yet you have to sort of deal with the consequences of that of, you know, there are things, there are ways that I am not in control that I need to be able to adapt to that. Yeah. And in fact, Greg was very, he really believes in the metaphysical is like your body. He believes like your body basically did that to you as a wake up call. I'm not so sure I, I'm, you know, quite that far in my thinking. Go, I think it was random. It was an accident, but it was the, the catalyst that happened that made me take a look at how I was living my life and how it was incongruent for, for me. 
it's amazing in the the various stories that we tell on a congruent life how often that happens. There there always is some sort of catalyst or some sort of loss or some sort of reevaluation that triggers these these life changes, these uh, pivotal points in our life journeys. Yeah, I can see that, and I wonder how how people who feel stuck and know that they want to change and they're not satisfied and they're just doing that daily grind thing. Like I I almost wonder like, how do you get out of that if you don't have this catalyst? (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to just say like, I'm, I'm sitting here on my couch. I'm going to identify that I'm not satisfied with this life and I'm going to change it now. You know, I think that's probably the more impressive situation to have it be completely self-generated. Yeah. And that's pretty rare. You know, there's usually a case where life will, deal us some set of cards that force us to deal with that in a pretty direct way. And in your mm-hmm. case, it was a physical manifestation, but there's plenty of others as well. Mm-hmm. I also liked your reflections about being willing to ask for help. We do tend to sort of take this all on ourselves and say, okay, we, I, I'm self-sufficient. I can do this. I can plow through. But then the acknowledgement that, you know, there's a lot of help out there that can really help us meet our goals. Yeah. And it's funny because as a guide, when I do things that are guided, if I hire a, a climbing guide to do something, sometimes I almost feel like it doesn't count because I had assistance. <laughs> uh-huh. And I almost felt, feel that way. Like looking back, I'm like, there's a part of me that's just a little ashamed to say like, yeah, I hired a coach for a year and a half and I'm not sure if I could have done it without him. But you know, that's also the part of like, if you know you have a goal and you know that there are experts out there to help you get towards that goal and without them, you might not achieve it. Well then just shoot, go for it. I mean, the ultimate point is getting, making your achievement and, and feeling satisfied and fulfilled and try even just trying. Part of the thing we talked about too is like, well, just go for it. I mean, really what's the worst thing that can happen? I was like, well, bankruptcy, <laughs> It's like, that's kind of scary. But, you know, have other people in the world recovered from bankruptcy? Yes. Do you think you can? Yeah. Okay. So what's next? What's the worst thing that can happen? I'm like, yeah, I really can't think of any others. <laughs> mm-hmm. That kind of like helps you break down those barriers to whatever you're trying to achieve. And in many ways, you're a coach as well. Yeah. I feel like they... My clients, when I'm out there, they get these spontaneous monologues, whether they like it or not. (laughs) And it's so funny because I feel like I can find a life lesson in anything. So, you know, if you're if you're really tired and you feel like you're a burden, like you've just got to accept that in any group, somebody's got to be the slowest. And today it's you. So how graceful are you with that? And if it's that day that you're the fastest and you want to get there quicker and you're annoyed with the rest of the group because they're not as strong as you well maybe this is your time to step into a leadership role and go how can I help the rest of you even if you're all paying clients like we're still you become a team automatically so uh, I just like they seem to enjoy it thankfully (laughs) (laughs) but I always like wax into these and it's really really powerful I mean the outdoors just breaks everything down and everyone down. So you're equal out there, no matter what your background is, everyone has baggage. Everyone's now got the same gear. You've got the same challenge ahead of you. You know, whether your pack's a little nicer than mine, it really doesn't matter out there. And 
there's also just like all you have to do is get to the next point. And it makes life just really beautiful and simple for just a few days. So I think there's a lot of power in that and there's a lot of rejuvenation in it. And I often will sometimes lie to people and tell them, you know, don't tell them this, but of course it's going to air on the air. <laughs> My secret's out that there's no cell service there. So don't bring your cell phone because there often, unfortunately, is more and more cell service in the backcountry. And when people are checking their email and texting and turning on their iPhone and we're all standing there and waiting for them to power up and take a picture and then post it. And it really takes something out of the experience. So just being disconnected for a matter of a few days is so rare in this world. And when you think about it, it hasn't even been a century from the time when people would go away for like a few months to go write in some cabin and like not have any com communication with others. And the only way to get in touch with them was by letter. And if you didn't hear from them, you just had to kind of worry and hope they'd be back on the train in some point in the future. So there wasn't this like constant feedback of where are you? Are you okay? I had this client on Mount Langley turn on her cell phone, found she had cell reception, texted to her husband that we were on the way, the final summit, you know, attempt of Mount Langley, which is a 14,000 foot peak in California. And I was like, oh no, Kim, you know, we gotta keep going, we gotta keep going. Like, you know, we need to make forward progress. And she stops and does the text and waits for it to send, puts it away. We make it to the top, and she said she's done an, an Ironman 10 years ago, but she's kind of gotten out of shape, had two kids. This was like her personal challenge. She said she felt like this was far harder than an Ironman, but she made it. On the way down, turned on the cell phone again to, to send a text and tell her husband that she was fine and couldn't get reception. And I didn't mean it in an I told you so kind of way, but I was like, see, if you're constantly connected and then the moment you go out of connection – now he's going to worry. But if you'd just been gone for the three days and he knew you wouldn't have cell service and you'd just let him know, hey, I'm down, I'm fine. But now he's got this message hanging out there that you're on your way up the mountain and he doesn't hear anything back for a day and a half. So just letting it go and letting the experience be and then coming back and having a great story to tell is better than being constantly connected. And then when your battery dies or you don't get that signal, then you may actually cause much more concern to the loved ones at home. So you had your ACL tear. Yeah. Restricted your physical ability for a while there and going through this reevaluation point of your life. What did you decide to do? Well, I basically looked at the fact that work was making me so miserable and that even though I really actually quite loved my clients and they were good people, but that I wasn't really having a lasting impact or an impact that I could feel good about. Kind of the stars aligned around a few things between working with, with Greg, the coach, and trying to visualize what my life would look like. And then I just so happened to be on this advisory board of Call of the Wild. And a friend of mine had bought it in 2008. So I knew what she was going through with the tough economy but I was still quite envious that she'd left her job at Visa and was doing this full time now. And I'd also started doing more and more speaking and people were really resonating with my message. And then I was also able to rebuild because there were many people in the financial world whose finances were hit pretty hard by the recession as well. And I was able to rebuild and create a bit of a cushion. So 
it all kind of came together all around the same time where my visual, my vision had become pretty clear. Kate, the old owner of Call of the Wild, decided to sell because she couldn't really recoup from the four years of running it in the downturn. I built up just enough cash and I'd hit my threshold. So it's kind of amazing how it all came together really at the same time. Because if I had just said, well, you know, working on my vision with Greg, I really see this very flexible lifestyle where I'm flying off to do a speech, come back and have three days off, I can go climb a mountain, and then I'm going to go and lead this trip for women. And it was really like that loose, just what do I want to be doing? How far apart do I want these things to be happening? How long are the trips? Who am I leading? And it came together. I had no idea Kate would ever sell the business, and I knew she didn't want a partner. And here it is. Now here's this outdoor adventure travel company specifically for women where I could guide some or I could just run it. There'd still be time that I could go speak and time when I could go climb. So I also looked back and thought about this time in 2008 when I was at a Women MBAs conference and I just randomly walked into a session on visualization it all just seems so random now because even the presenter, she was a project manager from Microsoft. She had nothing to do with visualization except that she really believed in it. So she wanted to run this workshop. And she did a guided imagery exercise where, and I'm probably remembering it kind of wrong, but just in a nutshell was like, all right, we're going to calm down your breathing, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to take you way out into outer space, like really trying to disconnect you from the present you're floating around and then you're going to like, bam, come back down onto the earth wherever you land, but it's five years from now and just look around you and what do you see and who's there and what are you doing? And this was 2008. I mean, I really, none of this was anywhere in my conscience. And I realized one funny thing, the boyfriend I was with, he was definitely not there. <laughs> it didn't last much longer, but I was working on a speech I was in this sort of, I could tell it was like a cabiny kind of mountain house somewhere. I was living in the mountains. And I was also packing and preparing to take a group of women out backpacking. And I wrote it all down and I thought it was all weird. I was like, whatever, you know, I'm on this corporate track. This is kind of crazy. And when I came to bed, I was sitting in the sister's coffee shop in early 2013. I hadn't been here but a few months. And it came to me that five years earlier, I'd had this vision. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm in a mountain town now. I'm living in my own house. I'm working on speeches. And I'm taking women out into the backcountry. And I was like, holy shit, it actually happened. And it was not a five-year plan by any stretch of the imagination. It basically, like, that, I think, just came out of my consciousness that, or my subconscious, that that's something that would be really fulfilling to me. And I filed it away, and then life took its path. The ACL happened. I went into this depression. I found some help. We really started working on what do you love? How does it look? And then I got to work actually doing it. And five years later, it's like, oh, oh my God, I'm actually doing this. So that's also one of the reasons why I really believe in the power of visualization. Even if you have no idea how you're going to get there, 
make that vision really, really clear and ideally tell people about it because you never know where other forms of help or opportunity can come from. But even just having it in my head all that time, you know, maybe that helped kind of drive me to go ahead and get my wilderness first responder, which is pretty much a minimum medical certification you need for guiding and drove me to keep leading trips for the Sierra Club and building my leadership experience and drove me to create that cash cushion so that I could actually buy the company instead of spending it on something else. It was all very, very deep down in my uh, subconscious what I really, really wanted. That's a really important story. Thanks for sharing it. I I think that you're absolutely right. When we're clear about what we want, or we at least strive for clarity about what we want, we start some subconscious processes where things show up in our world. Yeah, it's it's pretty powerful. It's almost like freaky powerful. <laughs> and then the next question really becomes when I'm talking with people about this stuff, it's like, well, what if I don't know what my passion is? What if I don't know what my vision is? And that's a great question, but there's also this aspect of you have to give yourself time even to figure it out because in business school, people would always say, I can't believe you're, you, we call the quantitative people quant jocks. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe you're a quant jock. You look like a sales and marketing girl to me. Or they'd say like, oh, you, you seem like an entrepreneur. You should go start a business. And I was like, that's like really silly, silly feedback because I hate sales and marketing. I'm drawn to and I'm good at numbers. And what do you mean? I don't think I have a leadership bone in my body and you have to have an idea to start a business. But that was over 10 years ago. And over time, I grew into those roles and I actually found that I was really good at and liked sales and marketing, but I had to give myself a chance. And then I finally found oh, this is the business idea. But in business school, I was hardly even hiking. So of course that wouldn't have come to me to run a women's adventure travel company. So it all kind of unfolded naturally, but I kept going where my passion took me and saying, I really love this or it feeds me. And even though by most societal expectations, a small, somewhat chubby blonde woman (laughs) should not be leading, you know, expeditions in the mountains. That's what drew me. So I just kept going and I kept saying, well, what do I need to do? Or, okay, these are my weaknesses. How do I deal with them? How do I build a team around me? Maybe I have to train harder. Maybe I have to work on my pack being lighter. Maybe I have to do my itinerary. It's slightly different, but this is what I want to do. So I'm going to figure out how to do it. That leads beautifully into the overall theme of the show, which is, you know, as you know, all about authenticity. Mm-hmm. And so given this, this amazing journey that you've been on, what does living authentically or congruently mean to you? Oh, I think it means really taking a hard look at yourself and what feeds you and what you love and believing that there's a chance in hell that it could work out and saying that, you know, this is for me saying that I am good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm inspiring enough. I have good enough technical skills to be a guide in a somewhat extreme environments in the mountains and in developing countries and going, yeah, because it's coming from within that. I really love this. 
and I really enjoy it. And yes, there are things I need to do to improve, and I'm constantly working on my skills to be a solid leader in those environments. But it's not what other people thought I should be doing or what I thought I should be doing. I thought a a productive member of society has a lucrative job, saves for their retirement, gets married and has kids. And I'm kind of doing none of those now. (laughs) And I'm happier than I've ever been. So I think it really is kind of being raw and figuring out what you love and saying, I'm really just going to give this a try. And the thing about it is, like, even if you do fail, and there's lots of different ways you can look at failure, right, and different definitions, and is it your parents' view, or is it your own, or is it society? Even if you do, at least you will have tried. So there's that, you know, deathbed test of looking back and saying, what will I regret more? Will I regret not trying to live what feels congruent to me? Or will it be doing the expected thing of me? And so living without regrets and living and trying to achieve your dream, even if it feels like it's against all odds, but going for it, that's what feels like it's congruent to me. So Emily, what do you want your legacy to be, both in terms of the personal work that you're doing and the work that you're doing through Call of the Wild? Oh, it's actually really quite clear. It's just breaking down boundaries for other people. And sometimes it seems like I was on this panel a few weeks ago of local muses in Bend, these women that were doing really amazing, very altruistic things. And I'm like, sometimes it feels like adventure travel. It's kind of selfish, you know, it's like people who have to have enough disposable income to go off and buy a plane ticket and travel somewhere and have an outfit or plan everything for them. But what I realized is that there is impact on every single one of these women. Like even the the corporate attorney who told me if she'd been in another environment, when she realized she was the slowest one on the snowshoeing trip, she was like, if I'd been with my husband or my friends, I would have turned around. But your guides encouraged me to keep going. And I realized that in life, I will turn myself around and I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's just snowshoeing, Right. And then there is a woman that I had on another trip with scoliosis on a day hiking trip who's very concerned about her ability to participate in a group and keep up with them. And she ended up being totally middle of the pack, which was a huge achievement for her. And she wrote me this letter saying how the horizon now looked different to her. And she didn't look at her limitations as limitations anymore. So that's what I want to have is my impact is just all of these little transformational experiences for the several hundred women that come through Call of the Wild each year. And they go back to their life and they look at things differently or they try harder or they take that risk or they're kinder to someone in need and that there will be kind of a ripple effect from that. That's the best that I can hope for. How can our listeners engage with you, Emily? Oh, well, I have, I have two ways. One is either through Call of the Wild, the company itself. It's www.callwild.com. And you can get on our mailing list. I just send out like one email a month to see what we're up to. We have other kinds of free events and speaking and things like that. 
And then I also have my own personal blog at emilycortez.com, E-M-I-L-I-E-C-O-R-T-E-S.com. And I blog from time to time. I pontificate on these kinds of things. So <laughs> you're always welcome to, to find me there, subscribe. You can send me an email through there as well. And I'd definitely love to hear from people what they think about what I've said in their own journey and finding a congruent life. Fantastic. Is there a final thought you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? Yes, it's just don't hold yourself back. You know, there's so many times when we hold ourselves back out of fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of, you know, am I real or am I a poser by trying to do this? I think this is what I want. I think I'm good at it, but maybe I'm really not. And so there's so many other obstacles out there to achieving our dreams. So let's just deal with those. <laughs> there's plenty already. Don't hold yourself back. Don't be your own obstacle and just go for it. Well, Emily Cortez, I love your story and delighted for the connection. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your story with The Congruent Life today. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity, Andy. I really appreciate it. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Emily Cortez. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 49 or acongruentlife.net slash Cortez, which is spelled C-O-R-T-E-S. Thanks again to Diane, who suggested Emily as a guest for the show. If, like Diane, you'd like to suggest a guest, please drop me a line. You can connect with me through the comments on the show's webpage, on Facebook or Twitter, or by sending an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. Thanks for listening to and supporting A Congruent Life. We'll see you next week for show number 50 with another inspiring woman to introduce you to. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.